Hey guys, it's Jerry with Hillbilly Horror Stories, and recently I had the privilege to interview Cassandra Harold with Unpleasant Dreams. Now, this is a podcast that she does that's produced on her father's media network, Jim Harold Media, and I had a chance to sit down with both of them and talk about the show. It was a fantastic conversation. During the midst of the show, I mentioned what my favorite episode of Unpleasant Dreams was, which was on Death Sounds, and afterwards... Uh, Jim and Cassandra was nice enough to actually send me that episode. So right after this quick interview with the two, I'm going to play the entire episode for you guys so you can become familiar with Unpleasant Dreams with Cassandra Harold. Enjoy. Hey guys, I'm excited because uh, on a rare occasion, I've got two guests on and I got to tell you, this is going to tie in because this is one of my new favorite shows, The Unpleasant Dreams with Cassandra Harold. I absolutely love the show. It's it's everything about it is kind of perfect. It's got good production qualities, and we're going to definitely talk about that. But it's the right size, usually 15 to 20 minutes in size. And this young lady has the perfect voice for what she does. So thanks for coming on, Cassandra Harold. Thank you so much for having me. And I said, we've got two guests. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with her father. He's kind of the godfather of paranormal podcasts. Mr. Jim Harold. He uh, hosts uh, several wildly popular podcasts, but the two that immediately come to mind are the paranormal podcast. And of course, Jim Harold's campfire. Jim, thanks for coming on. Jerry, uh, thank you for having us both on. I really appreciate it. And congratulations with all your success. It's 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 great to see and well-deserved. We appreciate it. We obviously owe you for some of that success because uh, I, I had an opportunity to come on Campfire years ago. And that hit us hit at a time to where, you know, we were just starting to kind of really come up. And you have such a massive audience that it, that just springboarded us into where we're at today. So thank you for the opportunities as well. All right, Cassandra, I've been excited since we set this up. We would try to get this set up for probably a month or so, but, you know, busy time, especially with Halloween. Everybody's busy during Halloween in in our field. Tell me a little bit, if if I had never listened to your show and you were going to describe your podcast in a nutshell for the listeners who haven't heard it yet, how would you describe it? Yeah, so they're just like little bite-sized stories about different aspects of both the paranormal and a little bit of true crime. We do lean more toward the paranormal side, but we do have a little couple true crime stories thrown in there. And it's just the strange, the unexplained. That's really what we're interested in kind of tackling. So in, uh, like you said, like 15 to 20 minutes-ish, usually in an episode, um, we will take a specific topic and we will just dive in depth on that topic. We'll talk about different theories related to whatever it may be. So we've done everything from Black Eyed Kids to Elisa Lamb. Um, and we just dive into different theories, um, different explanations for the kind of strangeness that has gone on. We do a little mini history lesson uh, on the phenomena, and we just kind of take it from there. I, I got to be honest with you. My favorite episode, and others, this would probably you would probably take five guesses and you might not guess it. But my favorite episode so far is on the sounds of death. Uh, I love that. And and mainly because you cover something that we covered a long time ago, but most people seem to be unfamiliar with is death knocks. And, you know, you talk about the, the three knocks and, you know, 
usually being a bad omen and, and uh, uh, things like that. And I just love that aspect. And it was nice to hear somebody cover it because I never hear that subject covered. Oh, definitely. And all of all of the props for uh, the writing, I just do a little bit of tweaking, but the majority of the writing and the research is uh, Maddie Hilker, E.M. Hilker. Um, she's our writer. And uh, as my dad always calls her, our, the intrepid insistent uh, for Jim Harold Media. Um, so she's done a lot of background research, uh, evidence gathering, and really kind of pulls it all together. Uh, so like you mentioned, those death knockings, we covered the oral death omens, not just from like one side of things. We didn't just talk about animal sounds or whatever. Uh, we just kind of all brought it together. Um, and a lot of the credit with that goes to Maddie. So tell me how the the podcast, first of all, how did you come up with the name Unpleasant Dreams? And how did the podcast come around to begin with? Was this your idea? Was this a suggestion from somebody else? Is it just something you've been looking to do for a while? Give me some insight. Yeah. So my dad actually approached me with the idea for the podcast. He wanted to do something initially that was kind of like, uh, spooky 101, you know, kind of giving people who didn't know about a particular subject a kind of crash course on uh, everything that you'd ever want to know about the given subject. Um, and he thought it would be kind of cool to do it in a different style, a little bit more dramatic, not as necessarily as conversational as some of his other shows, uh, not in an interview format, but, you know, a um, little bit more of a narrative to it. Uh, and I thought the idea was fantastic. And I was so excited to be able to, you know, bring bring some voice to that. Well, I think one of the things I love, and we'll talk to Jim about this, uh, Jim, you're the producer of the show, correct? Yes. Do you do you choose the music and the the editing part of it, or is that something that both of you decide on? How does that work? Well, the, the interesting thing on The Voice, I give uh, Cassandra no direction whatsoever. Uh, I basically say record it. And, and she does her own direction. She comes from, uh, she's a little bit modest, but she comes from a drama background. She was a triple major in college. She was a minor in theater, actually studied in London. And that's why I thought of her for the podcast, because I thought, I've got an actor right in the house. Why not? Why go outside? She's right here. So the thing was, is that on that part, she handles the way it's read, the feeling that's put into it, whether to be a little more spooky in one part than the other. So that's all her. And then she basically hands me those tracks and she says, put music to it or sound effects like the oral death omens you talked about, mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite too. That and the one we did on Robert Johnson, I think, was also uh, uh, the meeting the devil at the crossroads. That that one as well was one of my favorites. So basically I just take it and, you know, like so many podcasters, we use uh, production music that we purchase. So there's no rights issues or anything, but I try to find a, a selection that I think is appropriate. And then we time out the transitions. If there are sound effects when appropriate, we put those in the right place. So I, I handle all of them, that on the editing side. Now she gives me the tracks ready to go. So I don't have to edit those at all, which is thank you, Cassandra. That makes life easier. <laughs> at least I can do. Uh, but uh, the music piece is me. And, and then we, uh, then we put it up. So it really is a team effort. I, I can't stress enough. It really uh, begins with uh, Maddie Hilker, uh, who is our uh, intrepid associate producer, assistant, and, and also writer for this. And then Cassandra does her thing, and then I do my thing. So it really is truly a team effort, I think. But I, you know, I can't say this enough, but it really is the perfect show. 
And I, I say that in full respect of, of other shows, including our own, you know, I try to do something similar in, in, in our Hillbilly Dead Time stories where we put some music behind it and try to be a little more uh, written out and everything. But then I hear your show and I'm like, this is what I wish I could do. I just some people have a talent uh, that other people don't. And I think, Cassandra, you've got that talent because when you read these stories, man, that's just I, I literally get so involved in the story that it, it, I, I kind of lose track of what's going on around me. And it takes a, it, there's only a few people I know that can read stories like that, that get me so involved. And it's something that I'm very envious of. I wish I had that ability that so many people uh, probably wish they had as well. So congrats to how awesome you actually do on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, so much of it is just already right there in the stories. I think that they're just so fascinating that, you know, it's not that difficult to to breathe some life into them um, because they're already so, so alive and so complex and, you know, kind of interesting. And, and that's kind of what I mean. She, she's too modest. I, she's too modest, but I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to say, that's what I mean about it being the perfect show, because I think your reading is impeccable. I think the writing is fantastic. So they do a great job of, of writing the script and researching the script. I think the music, I've not I've not heard an episode yet where I thought, ah, I thought, I don't think the music necessarily goes with the it's it's just like it literally is every aspect of it is exactly what you inspire to do when you create a show. What were you going to say, Jim? I just felt that um uh Cassandra tends to be a little um uh, self-critical and, and modest. So she, she kind of like, eh, I just read this and eh, it's okay. It's okay. But she really does a great job at it. There's no question about it. And I, I, again, part of that's proud dad, but part of it, Cassandra will be the first one to tell you that if something's not working or it's not good, I'm probably more critical on my kids than I am on anybody else, which I don't know if that makes me a good dad or a bad dad, but <laughs> my, my, my other daughter does a lot of editing for me. Cassandra does some and my other daughter, and if something's wrong, I'll kick it right back to him and say, nope, this is wrong. You got to fix it. So um, I try to, as much as you can, put that dad thing aside and say, okay, this is what I expect. And she never fails to deliver. I don't ever, I, I don't ever have to have her redo anything because it's, it's pretty much the way that I would want it right out of the gate. So big props to uh, Cassandra. I think that's so much of what makes it such a great, you know, collaborative storytelling process, though, is that we're all interested in, you know, putting forth the best, most interesting um, product that we can for for our audience. So, you know, when when something's like, oh, I don't know if that seems right, we're we're, you know, ready to go back into it, um, sort it out. So, Cassandra, tell me how. As far as like, do you have any say in the stories that you're going to do? I know you said that that. Uh, you know, you don't do most of the writing of the research, but do you throw out some suggestions on, hey, I'd like to cover this or this might be a cool story? How does that part of it work? Yeah, definitely. So we we just kind of throw out some ideas about different things that we, uh, you know, might be interested in, in covering in future. We actually have kind of a little bit of a list going, though. We've got so much of a wish list uh, in terms of future episodes that we haven't had to do nearly as much of that, uh, you know, spitballing as you would think, because there's just like a million things that come to mind uh, as to, you know, pu uh, possible future uh, topics to cover. Yeah, it's funny. Somebody asked me literally 
four or five years ago when we first started, they were like, I mean, aren't you afraid you're going to run out of topics? I'm like, there's no possible way to run out of topics. My problem is I don't have enough time to do everything that I want to do. So that's more the case. Uh, out of the everything that you've done so far, because you've got, uh, what, you got 12, 13, 14 episodes, something like that out? Yes. <laughs> I feel I like I should know I that. Think, I th- well, I understand. I lose track too, trust me. <laughs> but what's your favorite topic that you've covered so far? Probably the Elisa Lamb case. Um, it's a it's a really tragic story. Um, definitely, yeah. Just just very, very upsetting, um, but also so so deeply complex in in, in its layers. Um it was just a really interesting one for me to do. You know, the, you'd see in like the Netflix documentary of to kind of see like this different, this different take on it. Uh, that that was personally my favorite one that we've we've covered so far. What I feel bad about her is the Cecil has such a reputation that she kind of gets her story kind of gets lumped in with everything else, and it really isn't the same as a lot of the other stuff that happens. It's, it's, it's really tragic when you realize that so many people, you know, will take the Cecil. There's been a lot of individuals that have had tragedies there, but because there's so many, they all become collectively known as one. And that's kind of sad for the individual. Oh, absolutely. And and that's what I, I like about our show is because we're isolating, you know, kind of like these specific individuals to do a case on when we do those kinds of uh, cases, um, we're really able to give the full attention to that one story as opposed to, you know, trying to cover everything possible about it. Um, you know, we're, we're able to kind of zero in. I haven't had a chance to listen to the latest episode, but I saw it was on Dr. Shepard. And then and, uh, if my memory serves me correct, that was the gentleman that the fugitive was based on. Am I correct in that? Dad, you want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, I believe it. You know, I was going back and forth with that about Maddie with Maddie. And I mentioned that and, and she said that was not the case. But I'm still I'm not 100 percent sure of that, because if uh, you, people know of the 60s show with David Jensen, they talked on that show about a one armed man. Uh, that the doctor claimed and in uh, in the Sam Shepard case, which incidentally was, you know, right down the road uh, in the Cleveland area here. Um, he talked about a bushy haired man. It just seems like the parallels are too much. So that's uh, you're you know, Jerry, that's what I always heard. Uh, Maddie was telling me that that's a myth, but um, I'm going to have to do some of my own investigation on that. I think the fugitive is a little early for Cassandra. <laughs> well, did, they did a remake of it. Not too, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 20 years ago or so, but yeah. with uh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think was a Harrison Ford was the yep, that's Tommy a- Lee Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is, is that 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 case has always fascinated me. So I put a vote in for that one because that's been that was the trial of the century before OJ in the, of the 20th century. That was a really big deal. I think it's a little bit lost to the mists of time now as time passes on. People forget about things, but uh, a disturbing and fascinating case nonetheless. Cassandra, where do you see this taking you? I mean, you've started the podcast. Have you have you got the the entertainer bug yet to where you're like, you've got all this training for theater and stuff? How does that compare when it comes to podcasting? 
Yeah. Um, so it's a very interesting transition, you know, from from theater to, uh, you know, the microphone. <laughs> um, first of all, on a just technical level, uh, projection is something that's very different on a stage versus just talking on a mic, something I still need to kind of adapt to. <laughs> um, but there's there's a lot of great similarities as well uh, that I've, I've really been enjoying because uh, as I've just, you know, graduated um, my undergrad um, I don't really know that I want to pursue, you know, theater acting in that uh, way. So having the podcast is an opportunity to kind of explore that uh, side of things and to continue to be um, creative and artistic uh, by using kind of my theater background in a different light has been really rewarding. Is voice acting something you would uh, like to try out at some point? Yeah, I've, I've definitely been uh, considering taking on some of some of that a little bit. I've just I've just started to scratch the surface, though. <laughs> Understandable. So, Jim, let me ask you this. When you sit back, you've got an array of podcasts. You've tried several different things from true crime to paranormal over the years. When you hear her podcast and I know I know you're a professional at the end of the day, so you can set aside the family part of it. What do you hear when you hear the podcast? I mean, do, do you can you think about it outside of the hey, that's my daughter and more just from a man, this is really artistic or I think this could go a different direction. How do you feel at the end of the day when you listen to the podcast as far as a finished product? Well, I'm proud of what we've done so far, and I hope it's certainly just the beginning because we'll tweak and we'll look at the topics that are more popular. Maybe we even next year go even more paranormal, less true crime. But uh, I, I'm pleased with it. And it's kind of what Cassandra started the interview talking about. I would like to build a library of different topics where people could go and say, hey, I can listen to this podcast to learn about a, uh, a mysterious topic. And then I can take it from there, you know, on our website website uh, where points back we include we're very diligent and maddie is very diligent about great sourcing and those kind of things so if somebody finds out about the oral death sounds or they hear about robert johnson or sam shepherd or shadow people they can say i can go to the website and i can start my investigation here and all these great sources i can look up and and so forth so um, I think we're on the road to that. There's always, you know, all of us can be better. And, and I think we've got a heck of a start. And uh, I just hope to continue it and just hone on the, you know, the topics that people want to hear and continue to grow it. But, you know, unless you're a huge company, you don't grow a podcast overnight. It takes time to build. Um, so that's I just want to kind of keep on keeping on. But so far, I'm very proud with what we've done, what Maddie's done. Uh, what Cassandra's done and to a lesser extent what I've done. And the other thing is I like it because, as Cassandra said, it's a different type of show. You know, Campfire is an informal discussion with my listeners. Paranormal Podcast is interviewing experts. This, again, is that more narrative kind of polished rather than a talk show or more polished kind of product, a narrative product. And, uh, you know, those are very, very popular. And you look at companies like Wondery. So I felt it was time to do one of those. And I think we've gotten a heck of a start at it. They're very hard to do and do correctly. As I sit here sometimes for an hour and a half, just trying to get the monologue down for a 15 you know, minute episode. It's mm -hmm. it's it can be, you know, because there's a different level of perfection 
than you strive for when you're just having a conversation or an interview. You just, you know, it's it's a whole different ballgame. It's like, ah, I could have said that word better. Let me redo that. And next thing you know, you've, you've put a ton into it. But it's rewarding. So with that being said, Cassandra, what's been the most rewarding part of podcasting in your short career so far? Yeah, so I, I'd have to say uh, the the little interaction that I've had with fans uh, as of yet, um, people who are really interested uh, in the show and are enjoying it has been so great, uh, you know, looking at reviews and things and seeing that people are, uh, you know, enjoying what we're creating and wanting to see more. Uh, that's just, I think, been the best part. Now, has there been any surprises so far? Was there something that's happened or something that somebody said to you that was like, oh, I've just... I never really would have thought that that would have came from this. Have you had any of those experiences yet? I mean, this, this is perhaps a little too general, but just <laughs> that uh, people enjoy it as much as they do. <laughs> uh, I, as my father said, I'm I'm pretty pretty self critical. Um, so uh, half the time when I'm when I record things, I'm like, well, I think I did okay. But to see the the response and see that people are actually really enjoying it uh, was was a little bit surprising to me. <laughs> well. At some point, and you know, if you do this long enough, and I'm sure you will, somebody's going to hit you with one that's just going to blow you away. Somebody's going to tell you that, you know, they've suffered from a, uh, an illness, and your show helps them get through it, or something like that. That's going to happen at some point in time, and you know, the you can't I- explain the feeling that you get when you realize that you made a difference in somebody's life that you had no idea you were making. So that's coming. Trust me. Jim, I appreciate you taking the time. Come on. Uh, This has been fun having you you on. Thank you so much. I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to spotlight this new show. And uh, again, I can't say it enough. I'm so glad for your success and seeing you guys grow. That's fantastic. And, and, And thank you again for opportunity to tell people a little bit about unpleasant dreams. I know Cassandra sometimes, you know, she's a little shy about these things, but uh, she's been doing a great job. And thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to give her the spotlight as well. Absolutely. Cassandra, tell everybody how they can keep up with what's going on with Unpleasant Dreams and how they can listen. Yeah. So follow us on your favorite podcatcher. We're pretty much everywhere. You know, we're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, where else do people listen on? Spotify. Spotify. Radio, the whole there we thing. go. <laughs> Stitcher. Stitcher. Yep. We're there. And jimherald.com as well, if you want the show notes and everything. We have a new website uh, over the last three or four months, which we're really excited about it. Uh, it looks uh, super, super high class and can't, can't, couldn't say that about the website for a long very time. Sharp, very sharp. Very sharp. Looking good now. Looking good. Nice. And before we get out of here, Jim, I don't want to uh, leave without giving you a chance to plug any other podcast that you have out that we may not know about as much as uh, Campfire and the Paranormal Podcast and, of course, Unpleasant Dreams. Well, well, mainly those are our free ones, and that's the ones I always uh, direct new people to. Uh, Jim Harold's Campfires, True Stories of the Supernatural, uh, the Paranormal Podcast, uh, and uh, that one's been going since uh, uh, 2005. Had to remember there, it's been so long. And then also check out my YouTube channel. You know, we're doing increasingly more, hopefully, on the YouTube channel, and people seem to like it, youtube.com slash... Uh, Jim Harold. That's uh, that's one that uh, people really seem to enjoy, and uh, I need to do more of that. But it's like you said, it's always a challenge to do more. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for coming on. Cassandra, thank you so much for what you do. 
I'll be the first to, to, to tell you on this interview that I absolutely love your show. I think anybody out there listening to you guys should go subscribe right now to Unpleasant Dreams with Cassandra Harold, and please leave a review and let her know that you heard her on Hillbilly Horror Stories so she knows that she got uh, at least some listeners from our little interview on here. So thank you for coming on with us. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. All right, guys, we will talk to you soon. Strange stories are my specialty here. Tonight, I'll share a particularly chilling tale. I'm Cassandra Harold. Lie back, listen in, and steal yourself for unpleasant dreams. There's something of the foreboding in an unexpected sound, piercing an otherwise placid stillness. Perhaps it's an eerie hoot born through the evening hush, or the lull of the afternoon suddenly shaken by a grandfather clock chiming loudly off time. It might be a mysterious whistling, where there ought not to be anyone to whistle. Or a heavy knocking from an empty doorway. It chills the blood, and brings to mind strange, dark suspicions of things to come. Oral death omens. Those sounds that herald the approach of death common across cultures all over the world. Generations of people have heard them and known, deep down, that they signal an ending. Sometimes it's the cry of an animal. Sometimes it's the full, brassy ring of a bell, or the chime of an old broken clock, or an inexplicable knocking, or even a strange ghostly figure. Oral death omens can often take the form of an animal messenger. Perhaps one of the most interesting living oral death omens was made famous in Edgar Allan Poe's short story, The Telltale Heart. He was still sitting up in the bed listening, just as I have done, night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. The death watches being referred to were, of course, the death watch beetle. A wood-boring beetle that makes a peculiar tap-tap-tap sound from within the walls of the home or building they've infested. As author Laura Martisiot suggests, the beetle's tap-tap-tapping became associated with the long, sleepless vigils held by the bedsides of the dying, during which the sound of the beetle would persist throughout the otherwise quiet night. Over time, people came to believing that the tap-tap-tap was forecasting death rather than simply accompanying it, and they came to dread it during those long, silent nights. Birds, the natural predator of beetles, are also a common source of oral death omens. Owls, in particular, are generally seen as magical birds, for both good and ill, across many countries and cultures. And as such, they are commonly considered death-signaling birds across vast geographical expanses. The Hottentot in southern Africa 
believe that the hooting of an owl predicts death, as do a number of Native American tribes, as well as people in Mexico and India. A relative to the owl, the tawny frogmouth, also has a cry that portends death throughout Asia and Australia. Other notable birds whose cries serve as an omen of doom are those beautiful, shining black scavengers, the raven and the crow, whose cry sounds like corpse, 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 as Nancy Richmond points out in her excellent book, Appalachian Folklore, Omens, Signs, and Superstitions. The whippoorwill, named for its song, also comes to mind as a bird of warning. The common use of these birds in literature and film certainly helps cement in our minds their role presaging death. However, merely the sight of large black birds eating a dead animal or the pretty, otherworldly cry of the whippoorwill would doubtlessly keep those legends alive without assistance. In general, though, the most alarming death omens must be those animals behaving out of character and making noise when they ought not, doing things which makes no sense for them to be doing. Animals are, on the whole, creatures of habit. Certainly domestic animals are. Deviations from their normal habits tend to be interpreted as death omens across the board. Be it a cow lowing after midnight, a crowing hen, a black cat meowing precisely at midnight, or a beloved family dog uncharacteristically howling like a jackal. A woodpecker knocking at your door signals a coming death as well. Certainly, it may be true that animals know what we do not and cannot. Who knows what an animal might see through those slitted, reflective, strange, or beautiful eyes. It's not just animals behaving out of character that you need to watch out for, however. There are objects behaving out of character to be aware of as well. The chiming of a broken clock, or a clock that chimes 13 times, is a sure sign that someone is going to die. As is a clock that chimes between hours, or one that simply stops in the United Kingdom. As noted in Death Omens of the UK, by E. Jones. Bells could mark some real trouble as well. Church bells in particular. A church bell ringing spontaneously can predict a coming death, as can a bell that rings during a hymn or a wedding. If you'd prefer to be unaware of impending death, avoiding clocks and church bells may not help you. In both the UK and Appalachia, hearing a bell ringing in your ears, sometimes called dead bells, after the shepherd poet, James Hogg, may also foretell your doom, or that of one of your loved ones. And a sailor who hears bells and feels a phantom touch 
has been warned that his ship will sink. When discussing oral death omens, as with writing, death, and other hardships, the rule of three is important to remember. This perhaps remains even more true when it comes to mysterious knocking. In Wales, the phenomenon of three mysterious knocks was known as the Tolaith, and always predicted death. The same legend exists under different names in Irish, Scottish, Jewish, Indian, African, and Native American folklore. Always three knocks. Always before a death. In some places, it's evil spirits. In some, it's ghost carpenters working on a coffin. But while the cause is always wildly different, the omen and the outcome are always the same. In Appalachian folklore, uncaused knocks around liminal places like doors or windows signal a coming death as well. As does a mysteriously rattling church door, regardless of the number of knocks or rattles heard. In fairness, it's difficult to think of any good that could come from random knocking and violent shaking of an untenanted door, with or without death in mind. But sometimes, these knocking sounds are not uncaused. Mysterious figures also often serve as oral death omens. Many of us know the Tommyknockers from Stephen King's novel of the same name, but the Cornish legend of the Tommyknocker is a very different thing. Marrying both knocking death omens and mysterious figures. Tommyknockers, also called simply knockers, were believed by Cornish miners to cause the knocking sounds that precede a cave-in. Some believed they were the spirits of those killed in mining accidents, knocking to warn the living and help them avoid the same fate. Others maintained that they were evil spirits, and the knocking was, in fact, the sounds of the spirits hammering away to cause a collapse in the mine. Then, we have possibly the most famous harbinger of doom, the Banshee. The Banshee figures into many, many stories and legends, and is well known as a spectral woman whose blood-chilling screams serves as an omen of death. There is a similar figure in Welsh mythology, the Cahurith, whose cry is often heard three times by those doomed to die, and can be heard on the shore keening before a shipwreck occurs. Scottish folklore has another old keening hag, known as the Calic, among whose many roles includes that of a shrieking death omen. Old hags are, in general, considered bad news, 
and many mythologies include one who foretells death with an eerie, hair-raising shriek. Whistling figures certainly have their place in the hallowed halls of oral death omens as well. Perhaps that's why there's a tradition in Thailand that whistling at night brings bad luck. There are a group of spirits known as the Seven Whistlers in the United Kingdom, whose strange whistle sounded like a flock of birds heard from very far away. Or, in the words of author E. Jones, the muted sound of children singing a funeral dirge. The Seven Whistlers were particularly concerned with portending the death of miners, sailors, and railwaymen. Closing out our survey of oral death omens is quite a different whistler. El Silbon, the whistling man of South America. El Silbon in life was a young man with a terrible anger. He killed his father when he refused to give him what he wanted. The circumstances of this varies from story to story. In some versions... He attempted to feed his father's corpse to his mother. The man was cursed to become El Silbon, carrying a sack of bones on his back, generally believed to be his father's bones, and whistling a very strange, remarkable whistle. In some versions, El Silbon kills the hearer himself, but just as often, his whistling simply signals the coming of death. Either way, I'm happy to never have heard his peculiar whistle myself, nor most of the other oral death omens mentioned. Some sounds don't need to be heard to be believed. A list of sources for this episode can be found at unpleasantdreams.net in our show notes. E.M. Hilker is our writer and researcher, with additional writing by Cassandra Harold. Jim Harold is our executive producer. Unpleasant Dreams is a production of Jim Harold Media, LLC. And, despite our ominous tone, we hope all of your dreams are pleasant. We'll talk to you next time. Good night.